That four tourist stuff was pretty funny, actually, because they are making it sound like it's the most kick-ass car ever. <laughs> it's like it's like a nineteen ninety-four Ford Taurus, and you're just like, oh, like, fact- like, what do you think of Dad's new ride? And it's like, it's a Ford Taurus. It's like a soccer mom car at best. Like, <laughs> like the thing is, the Ford Taurus wasn't even cool back then. <laughs> But they're still like, oh my goodness, look at dad's new car. And you're just like, eh, you know. Oh, um, I think the best part about that, though, is that in the book, it's a station wagon. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> station wagon for Taurus. That's right. right. So, like, it's somehow just like, it's somehow at least a slight step up in the TV show. <laughs> but it's like, in the, bo- the book is no better. They're talking about a station wagon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Page and Screen. This is a book club for movie lovers, a movie club for book lovers. We read the book, we watch the movie, and we offer you our unwarranted opinion. My name is Calvin De Silva. This kicks off my summer of Ryan Gosling. I am Jesse Molly, and this was a pretty good creepypasta. I am Ashton, and... Greg's father's 1995 Ford Taurus looks like it had a lot of muscle. My name is Doug, and uh, this gives a new meaning to dick pics. Uh, sorry, that doesn't work. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we are discussing Goosebumps, Say Cheese and Die. Say Cheese and Die is the fourth installment of the original Goosebumps series. It was written by R.L. Stein and published in 1992. We will also discuss its adaptation, Say Cheese and Die, the fifth episode of the Goosebumps TV series, season one, directed by Ron Oliver and airing in 1996. So let's get into the novel. I don't even know if you would call this a novel. How it's, did it's we, a children's uh, novel. Sure. This children's novel. Um, so the book starts with four friends, Greg, Sherry, Doug, and Michael. They're bored on a fall day in their town, Pitts Landing. They're trying to decide how to spend the day. And after several proposals, the friends agree to sneak into the mysterious Kaufman House, an old dilapidated building that is said to be haunted. The building is also home to a strange man nicknamed Spidey. While exploring the basement, Greg finds a camera hidden inside a compartment in the wall. Greg is interested in photography, so he picks up the camera. He asks Michael to pose for a picture. Michael stands against a staircase railing, and after Greg takes the picture, he realizes that the camera is an instant developing camera, like a Polaroid. The camera develops the photo. Michael asks to see it, and he leans against the railing. The railing breaks, and Michael falls to the ground, hurting his ankle. At this point, Spidey enters the basement through the house. The kids are scared and they leave through a back exit. Greg takes Michael's photograph and the camera with him. When the group stops running, they inspect the photograph. And to everyone's surprise, Michael's photo shows him falling instead of leaning on the railing. And Greg insists that he took the photo before Michael's fell. Later that day, Greg takes multiple photographs with the camera. First, he takes a photo of his father's new car, but the picture shows the vehicle wrecked. Later, he takes a photo of his older brother, Terry, but the picture shows him in a baseball field in a worried state. On Tuesday, Greg, Sherry, and Michael go to Doug's baseball game. 
Before it starts, Greg takes a photo. The picture shows his friend lying on the ground with his neck at an unnatural angle. Doug refuses to believe that anything bad could happen to him. He assumes the camera is broken. However, during the game, a baseball hits him, causing him to fall to the ground. His neck bends to an unnatural angle, as the picture predicted. Greg is completely sure that the camera is responsible for these events, but his friends refuse to believe him. It's at this moment that the pictures of Terry and the new car come true. Terry appears on the baseball field in a worried state and tells Greg that their father has just suffered a car accident and the car is completely totaled. That night, Greg has a nightmare where he takes a photo of his family during a barbecue and the picture shows them as living skeletons. Sherry continues to be skeptical of the camera's powers and asks Greg to bring it to her birthday. Initially, he refuses, eventually decides to take it with him. During the party, Greg takes a photo of Sherry, but she doesn't show up in the pictures. Soon after, Sherry disappears mysteriously without a trace. After a few days, Greg and Bird begin fight. Bird. Sorry, Doug's nickname is Bird. Yeah, that makes much more sense. After a few days, Greg and Bird begin fighting over the camera. Bird accidentally takes Greg's photograph. The picture shows Greg with Sherry being chased by a black shadow. Although he is scared, Greg also feels hopeful because the picture shows Sherry, who has been missing for two days at this point. Greg gets an idea and tears up Sherry's picture. When he does this, she reappears and doesn't have any memory where she has been over the last two days. While the kids talk, Spidey appears. He begins chasing them in a scenario similar to what the camera predicted. However, a neighbor sees the chase and threatens to call the police and Spidey runs away. Later, the kids decide that the camera is too dangerous and resolve to return it to its hiding place in the Kaufman house. But when Greg and Sherry enter the old house, Spidey catches them and reveals the camera's origins. Turns out Spidey's real name is Dr. Fritz Fredericks, and he is a deranged scientist. His lab partner created the camera. However, Spidey's greed led him to steal the piece of technology and present it as his own invention. What he didn't know was that his partner was also a master of the dark arts, and he placed a curse on the camera. Now, whenever a photo is taken, something bad will happen to the subject of the photo. Spidey mentions that the camera caused the death of all the people he ever loved. He spent his whole life trying to hide it. Now that the kids know the truth, Spidey believes that he must keep them prisoners in his house forever. Greg and Sherry try to escape, and during the struggle, Sherry takes the camera from Spidey and takes Spidey's photo with it. Spidey dies of fright in an event that the photograph seems to predict. Finally, Greg and Sherry return the camera to its hiding place and leave the building. They tell the Pitts Landing police that they found Spidey's corpse in the house. Joey Ferris and Mickey Ward, two local bullies who had followed Greg, they retrieve the camera and they take their own photo. The book ends with Joey and Mickey waiting for the picture to develop. Our initial thoughts on Say Cheese and Die. I quite enjoyed it, probably more than I should have. Obviously, I read Goosebumps when I was growing up, so I'm like kind of nostalgic for them. And when I was reading it, it was kind of a throwback for me. So it was super easy to read, obviously. And I read it in obviously one sitting because I don't know how you could take more than one sitting to read this. I didn't realize that people died in Goosebumps books. And I guess I was more familiar with with the TV show version of this than I was with the book. Because when I got to the ending of the book, it was surprising to me that they kill off a character. I was like, that's pretty dark. And I don't remember that happening. It wasn't too bad. I, I quite enjoyed it. I gave it four stars on Goodreads, which is probably a bit too generous, but it was a fun read.
basically, I found it really funny how every chapter ended in a cliffhanger and then was immediately resolved in like a couple sentences in the next chapter. I think it's a it's a hard book to um, to grade as an adult because it's obviously a children's book and you have to kind of remember that when you're when I had to constantly remind myself that when I was uh, <laughs> reading that in terms of that like perfectly fine kids book. But in terms of me recommending this to another grown-ass adult, probably unlikely. Yeah, so I listened to the audiobook of this on YouTube, and one of my first thoughts is, like I said in my intro, this was like a creepypasta. I've listened to so many of them that I started treating it like that. The beginning of the book, and again, it is the kid's book, but... I felt it was a little bit boring. You know, they're kind of just establishing things. I was kind of multitasking at the time doing something else, but I remember stopped to listen when it mentioned they took a picture of Bird and it said his neck was bent at a, a weird angle or an unnatural angle. And I was like, I don't know why that kind of gave me the chills. That was really creepy. So then I kind of diverted my attention to listening to the rest of this audiobook, And like, it gets to a part where he's at a baseball game and he gets hit in the head. And I thought, oh my God, they've, they've killed him. Like, is this a Goosebumps novel? Like, this seems a little bit dark. And then he takes a picture of Sherry who completely disappears and he's questioned by the police. And it's like, oh my God, and not going to lie. I got a little bit into it around the end. And then, it, yeah, like Calvin said, it ends with the bad guy Spidey having his picture taken and dying of fright. And then it's revealed that this camera was a product of dark sorcery. I was like, what am I reading right now? So it held my attention for a bit there and I kind of enjoyed it. It reminded me of when I first started listening to little creepypasta stories on YouTube. So yeah. I liked it. I felt the same as Ashton. I think there were, had I not had to say to myself every once in a while, like, oh, this is just a kid's book, right? I probably would have gave this like a, like a one star out of four or whatever, because <laughs> in comparison to the books that we've read, this has to be the worst written of all of them. That being said, it is a kid's book, ages eight to 13. It's built that way. It's, it was kind of used to keep kids reading. Like you kind of need to dangle something in front of a kid to get to get them to read. It could only be so scary if you're if you're only making a book for an eight year old kid, then it can't be like uh, like extremely scary. And uh, R.L. Stein generally isn't scary. Even when I was a kid, I had never thought R.L. Stein was like I, I never read any of his books and thought, oh my goodness, this is so scary. But that being said, I did I did actually end up enjoying it. I thought there were parts that like were funny to me. That I, I I found myself laughing that weren't necessarily comedy parts. And I found myself thinking about what I would do with a camera like that. So I, I quite enjoyed it. Maybe one day we'll pick another uh, Goosebumps and that would be pretty cool. So I'd actually be down to do another Goosebumps. That would be kind of fun. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a cool recurring thing. Yeah, so to Doug's point, it certainly isn't a scary book. But um, I think the feeling that trying to put myself back in the mindset of in the age when I first read Goosebumps and, and how I felt reading them. I don't think I was scared back then either. I think the f the feeling that you're supposed to get from them, kind of this feeling of uneasiness, kind of the same way that like the Twilight Zone makes you feel uneasy. They're never like outright horror. They're more supposed to make you question things and put yourself in that position and be like oh like this makes me feel uneasy how would I deal with the scenario like what if I got this camera especially when you're a kid how would I handle this camera what would I do with it and I think that sense of uneasiness is really what Goosebumps is supposed to accomplish or, or is trying to make you feel and I think it does that even reading it now all these years later I'm like it's 
it's a cool enough concept. If this was in the hands of a Twilight Zone writer, it probably would be a really good story. So I think like just in terms of the concept and what they're trying to make you feel, I think it does pretty well. It's kind of unsettling into a child. It could be a pretty unsettling story. And in terms of like the other stuff that we've read in the past, this is easily the lightest thing we've ever had to read. It was a, it was a nice change in pace for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This probably the I was going to say Anne of Green Gables, but even Anne of Green Gables, someone dies in that. So so this is, uh, <laughs> this is a little bit lighter <laughs> yeah. than even that. Oh, so, Marilla, look at this camera I have found. <laughs> oh, oh, Marilla. Oh, uh, can I take more photos of that uh, thing? For a Canadian kid, uh, Goosebumps is kind of an institution. Like, I just imagine, like, the Scholastic Book Fairs. Like, we never talked about that. But you guys remember, like, Goosebumps was a big part of that, right? Well, every month you get a, uh, uh, whatever they're called, a pamphlet. Catalog uh, or something. A catalog of, like, and it would tell you, like, the new Goosebumps things that are coming out and put $5 or something down for uh, whatever. But the uh, we had a, a 45 minute or hour block of reading every day at school for grade five. And I remember that in that grade five year, I read tons of goosebumps during that one year and there's never read, read anything back again. So it's funny because like going back to the scholastic stuff that you're talking about, I, I grew up early in like elementary school going to a Christian school. But they would oftentimes just be like, here's the scholastic pamphlet, but you can't order this. You can't order this. And they would tell you what you couldn't, couldn't <laughs> order. <laughs> and it was like, Lord of the Rings, I guess that's a parental advisory. We'll let your parents decide if we want you to have Lord of the Rings. But Lord of the Rings have... is a Christian book. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thesis of it. There's <laughs> wizards and it's witchcraft and all that stuff. And Harry Potter was a no-no. Um, oh, man. And I think Goosebumps what? might have been like, mm. Where did you go, Ashton? Holy Spirit, or this was I, I? I didn't live in Cochrane at the time. I lived out in Airdrie, so the school I went to was called Airdrie Koinonia Christian School, and they would like literally like dictate. I remember wanting to get an X Men comic book from the Scholastic Book Fair, and they wouldn't let me rent it because of evolution was involved in it. What Christians? This is the most <laughs> like. This is like just astounding. Like that's. Wow. It was really frustrating every year because everything I wanted to read, I wasn't allowed to read. I remember in my Catholic high school, they had copies of the Da Vinci Code in it. So I'm just like, this is the strangest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Because it's airy. Did you guys have a favorite Goosebumps book? The only one I remember the most was Stay Out of the Basement. I can only remember vague parts of it. I remember the, the TV show version of it more, but I think that's actually the only one I, I read. And the second one would be Say Cheese and Die. I didn't know about Goosebumps and stuff like that. So, Like I said, I don't think we were really at that, that school that allowed us to read. Uh, like, I don't know if they didn't allow us to read Goosebumps, but I just don't think they were as accessible. And I think it was very much a parental advisory thing as to whether you should be allowed to read it. So I didn't really, I think this might be the first Goosebumps book I've ever read. I've seen the TV show and I always remember the Night of the Living Dummy episodes. Mm. And I think everybody like it's the most famous thing from Goosebumps, period. Also, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I, I remember watching a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid, too. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I didn't go to school in Canada for the majority of my schooling was not in Canada. It was in Dubai. But it's interesting because like a lot of this still translate. I had a lot of scholastic books at school. Um, and Goosebumps was one I read the most. Animorphs was probably the other one that I read the most. 
and Hardy Boys, a lot of Hardy Boys. Two Hardy Boys wasn't really big when we were growing up. I feel like that is a strange one because the Hardy Boys is a very old property, but for some reason it was like all the rage when I was a teenager. Or not a teenager, a child. And I'll say this. I feel like that was what I was reading as well when we were doing those 45 minute of like the reading hour that Doug was talking about. While you guys were reading Goosebumps, we had 1970s copies of <laughs> the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. And that was basically... <laughs> Also, like, that's surprising because Nancy Drew has, like, some satanic stuff in it. Like, some of the early oh, Nancy sure they Drew stories. Those. I don't <laughs> remember any of those. I'm sure they vetted those out. I'm sure they're okay. Like, yeah. They cut them out with scissors for you guys. Oh, uh, Ashen, you okay? Ashen, yeah, my, my microphone's acting all funny here. You're deep, are you, can you hear me? Yeah. We can hear you, but we, we can't can hear you. you. We can't see you. What? Why is this happening on the say cheese and like we mentioned cameras? Yeah, I know. For some reason, this is the most cursed episode. Is Arnold Stein hacking the feed? (laughs) Teach Uh, you to badmouth my book. (laughs) I I thought you rage quit because you're talking about uh, about some Nancy (laughs) about Nancy Drew. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I guess I guess they probably vetted those Nancy <laughs> Drew novels and just like rage quit. Yeah, of- <laughs> like I'll teach you to bring up Nancy Drew's satanic <laughs> history. <laughs> so to go back to stay cheese and die because I, I was shooting a short film that week, but I was shooting it like an hour and a half outside of Calgary. So I, on my way there, I had the audiobook blasting, but then I finished <laughs> the audiobook. <laughs> I finished the audiobook and. Uh, and I found myself just like on this long drive thinking about it. There are ways you can use this to like become rich and famous. For me, I would take it and I would start taking photos of things that would potentially be destroyed and things that won't be destroyed. And I would see if there's a time limit, right? Like if you take a photo of a something, how long will it take? If you take a photo of a Lego set or something how long until the photo is destroyed right like how long before the prophecy of the photo they seem to take place fairly quickly right like you can do some really interesting things with it like it's not necessarily a bad thing you could put a um things like insurance scams that'd be pretty interesting because you can get a new car then take a photo of it and then get into an accident or whatever right like it isn't as evil as they think it is. So well, I guess it is kind of. But I'm also thinking like, what's the dynamics behind it? Like you take a photo of something, you say in six months, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to hit it with a hammer or whatever, right? So you put it in your calendar and you decide that you're going to do it. Does it show it being destroyed six months down the line? I'm just trying to figure out how this worked, right? Or maybe you flip a coin and you say, if this lands on heads, I'm going to destroy this thing. Will you always hit heads if you decide to make that am i making any sense here uh, yeah are you talking about destroying the photos or destroying the camera no destroying anything like i'm talking about setting it up and taking a photo of like a like a vase yeah like a, like you have something that you can destroy and you take a photo of it with the idea that you know you're going to destroy it in five minutes yeah. but then if you flip a coin and say that if this lands on heads I am going to destroy it. If it doesn't, I'm not going to destroy it. Like, what does the camera do then, right? And then you could also do it for a longitudinal idea where you put in your calendar, six months from now, I will destroy this vase with a hammer. Uh, And then you take a photo of it. Uh, Does it show six months down the line or does it show just two days or three days down the line? Are you saying like like you're setting the goal in your mind that this is what I'm going to do and then you take the photo? Yeah, yeah. 
I don't think I don't think that would have anything to do with it, though, right? It's not predicting the future. It is constructing an evil occurrence. That's what the curse is supposed to be. So I think regardless of what you set your mind to doing, the camera is going to either alter it or fulfill it in a twisted way. It can manipulate reality. Yeah. I see. Okay. Because it literally manipulates reality, right? It like causes this girl to go missing. And she's just like fucking gone. She's in the ether for two days. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. You're right. Actually, that's, that's a good way to explain it. Basically, um, what I'm saying is there's no scientific reasoning with well, with how this camera works. <laughs> well, Fritz Fredrickson or whatever the guy's name is, uh, Spidey, he's a scientist. It's true. But his partner was also a master of the dark arts. So, so like, uh, I imagine like putting that on your resume. I'm a scientist <laughs> and a master of the dark arts. Like, I'd be going through resumes be like, hmm, OK, this we're going to call this guy and see what this guy's up to. <laughs> you, you know what you could do, though? My insurance scheme still work. Or you can do it for stock options or something like you can go to SpaceX and you can bet heavily that SpaceX will fail. And then you take a photo of their uh, of their rocket ship. And so when the rocket ship gets destroyed, you're like, I bet against it in the stock market. Looks like I'm making some money. But see, again, you're this is you predicting what the camera will do. And that almost certainly won't happen, right? Because if you set yourself up for being like, this evil thing is going to benefit me somehow, then you're not going to benefit from it. The camera will construct a situation where you still don't benefit from it. Like the only way for you to make that work is if you take the photo and then in the time between the photo being taken and it actually happening, you then go ahead and do it. So it's like if you took a photo of the car and then took out the insurance on it all in the time before the the crash happens, then you can stand to benefit from it. Car insurance wouldn't really work because you would definitely have to be in the car. You know what you you do is you get insurance on um your, you know, uh, bird's nest in the backyard or something something that you know you don't care about because you can get insurance you can get insurance on anything you'd be like this is my favorite uh, pizza box uh i want to put 200 million dollars insurance on this then you take a photo of that pizza box uh... (laughs) but the camera is nefarious it'll make that pizza box indestructible exactly like I feel Which, like after you do all that, you take the photo of the pizza box and it'll show the pizza box like strangling your cat or something. <laughs> that, actually, that does bring up a point because if, if you know this camera is going to negatively impact you, you can plan out ahead. So if Doug wanted an invulnerable pizza box, he would take a picture with the intent, hoping that he this insurance scheme. You know what I mean? Like, does this thing have to like leapfrog ahead? This is not the discussion I thought we would be having <laughs> over this over this story. <laughs> I, I'm just saying I would plan for every possible thing. And you know what? Win, win, win. Also, too. So if you have an evil camera, don't put it in a crappy wall in your apartment. Bury it. Like, go, <laughs> go to the woods and bury it. Also, did they try destroying the camera at any point? They didn't, right? Uh, Spidey said that that he couldn't destroy it. That's what I would do is I would say to everybody, I'd be like, here's $20. If you can destroy this camera, I will give you $20. If you can't, you give me $20. What? I'll just travel the countryside and make bets about this. And people will be trying to destroy my camera. They can't. And be like, I guess that's $20. Win, yeah. win, win. I love <laughs> how you're just like, how do I profit from this? <laughs> Does anyone have any last points they want to make about the book? One last thing. 
if if destroying the picture removes whatever curse it was, why didn't Spidey do that? Instead, he says he lost his whole family. Does that mean he just took pictures of like everything he could? And that you know what I mean? That's a good point. And I did think about that after Greg rips the picture of the Sherry thing. She shows up. However, that was also predicted in another photograph. Oh, that's so, true. Sherry showed up because of two things. One, she was already predicted to be in another photograph. And two, because he ripped the photo up. So it's it's interesting. And I wonder if R.L. Stein actually thought this through and wrote this in as a way to like stump you if you think about it too hard. Because it's almost like a failsafe to be like, oh, like, oh, maybe ripping the photo solves the thing. Oh, but there's this conundrum because it was also predicted in this photo so you don't really know if ripping the photo did it or if it's because the photo showed her in it yeah man tough questions to ask with say cheese and die for rl signs like yeah that's exactly what i had intended. <laughs> yeah actually i'm sure he did like we're not giving enough credit like he just has like a, a whiteboard in his house and he's just, yeah. like, he, he like flow charted the shit out of this story before he yeah, wrote like, it if this happens then this has to... so yeah and he's just like uh, okay so time. let's move on to the tv episode of Say Cheese and Die, that was directed by Ron Oliver, came out in 1996, starring Scott Speedman as one of the police officers, and obviously everyone's favorite baby goose, Ryan Gosling. Great and powerful gauze. Great and powerful gauze in the lead role as Greg Banks. What were our initial thoughts on this episode? I can go first. I feel like I've seen this episode a few times. Because I first watched it, obviously, when it came out, or soon after it came out, when I first watched Goosebumps on television. But also, going back and re-watching it when I realized Ryan Gosling was in it. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Gosling. I'll watch anything with him in it, including a kid's show he did back in the 90s. More than happy to check it out. I thought it was pretty good. I was disappointed that the ending is different. Maybe that's just different rules for television and what you can show in a kid's show. And maybe killing off Spidey would have been too dark. It, I, I think I read about it later and it, that's 100% what it was. It like went against like a children's code or whatever. So they had to change the ending to what it was. To an ending that absolutely makes no sense at all based on the whole premise of the <laughs> It's just like, yeah, now he's trapped inside a, a camera now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until literally two <laughs> seconds later in the last stinger where he just... <laughs> again if you take the photo i should probably go into just a, a few of the differences the episode is obviously a lot shorter than the book even though they're both extremely short the episode is only 20 minutes long but the book you know in audiobook terms i guess is a little over two hours so there's obviously certain things that they had to cut one of the characters is completely not in the tv version so michael doesn't show up in the tv version the camera is in the book is described as an ordinary looking Polaroid camera in the TV version. It has a just a really shoddy sci-fi design that looks like something you would buy at a Toys R Us. Like I have no idea. Greg only takes four pictures with the camera in the TV episode are really only three. And the other one being the one from his dream. Um, Spidey's true name isn't revealed so in the book his true name is dr fritz fredericks they never revealed tv version um also in the tv version he claims that he's the sole inventor of the camera and never explains how it acquired its strange powers so i guess he's just a scientist that wanted to create an evil camera 
we already spoke about how the ending is different. Spidey doesn't die in the TV version. Instead, when Sherry takes his photo, he gets trapped in the camera. But then at the very end, when Joey and Mikey find the camera and they take the photo, Spidey is released. And also Sherry's birthday party is cut out of this version. And the baseball game. All right. Other reactions? Obviously, because it's shorter, it just feels like it's the pacing is just like, go, 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 go. It just feels like everything's happening right after the other. And you're kind of like, oh. it's almost jarring. When I watched the episode, I literally just finished listening to the book. And it just felt like breakneck speed to get through the whole story in 22 minutes, which is funny because we were talking about how the book feels like it's filling the pages out. It was pretty goofy. I think the ending's kind of dumb in the TV show. But obviously, at the time, you couldn't have someone die. So they kind of had to figure out a way to make it work for TV. And then my other comment would have been basically what we've gone into depth about is the Ford Taurus being a terrible looking car. How would they like to plan it? In this universe, the Taurus is like an envied car, I guess. <laughs> Ford Tauruses were really nice back in the day. I don't know what your problem is. It is very strange because it's not even in the book. In the book, they don't really hype up the car that much. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why the why, for whatever reason, the director's choice is like, man, you need to hype this car up. Was his car? It's just a, yeah, it's probably just his Ford Taurus that he parked it. Bought this uh, with like Goosebumps directing money or whatever. I did love the Canadian feel. You know what the thing is? So I go to school in communications at the University of Calgary. In one of our classes, we were talking about Canadian film and television. And at the time, I didn't think about Goosebumps, but I was thinking about other things like Degrassi, a few other types of shows that feel Canadian. But the thing is, is I couldn't explain it to other people because in the class, people were like, well, what do you mean when you say feel Canadian? It's Canadian. Like it just, it, it feels Canadian. It looks Canadian. And Goosebumps is a Canadian production and it looks and feels Canadian, like that early 90s Canadian television. And I almost feel proud when I see that. I don't know what it is. I I just love the fact that the show made by Canadians had such a large following in the United States and affected so much. I just really like that whole aspect of Ryan Gosling, Canadian sweetheart. He's in it, leading the way. Scott Speedman, another Canadian sweetheart. And also he's in Underworld. So he's, he's okay in that. I guess. Uh, and that guy from 192, the English version, and Letterkenny, he's pretty cool too. And he's in that. He's he's one of the bullies. I don't remember which one. So good times. Jesse? I kind of watched this maybe a year ago. It was just on there and I was like, oh yeah, Ryan Gosling's in this. So I didn't remember much of it. But going back after listening to a two hour long audio book, I was like, this is only like 18 minutes, like 20 minutes. So I thought, you know, it's way too short because there's other goosebumps that did part one and part two, where it would have been much more longer content. I think that would have benefited more from it. However, I felt like the TV show wasn't near enough as scary as the book, if I can even call it scary, because while reading the book, there were just moments that felt really like somber or dark. And one of them is when the dad is in the hospital and it's like, he's gotten a car accident. I don't know why I was just reading that. I just, because they said there was like, he had like a tube hooked up to him and it was an IV drip. And then it cuts to him in the hospital. He's like, golly, I was just in a car accident, kids. So <laughs> I was like, this is like really like lighthearted. But uh, the guy that played Spidey just gave it his best all the acting he could when he fell off three foot of stairs from no railing and just did the most blood curdling scream ever. So that fall from the railing into just clear boxes. cushions, not even boxes, cushion. 
Yeah. Like they were clearly set up cushions. And I was just like, oh, wow, dramatic. <laughs> but like Doug said, it does got like that Canadian feeling to it. Like it's like when you watch something and you see Colin Fayor pop up and you're like, hey, <laughs> I thought it was OK, but it could have benefited from being one of those goosebumps that was a two parter because, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that cut out. It felt like, OK, we're doing Say Cheese and Die. Also, we only have 18 minutes left of the reel from our entirety of the Goosebumps production. So make Say Cheese and Die with it. I used to watch the Goosebumps TV series like many of you on YTV every day when I got home from school or a little after school or whatever. You know, I've watched all these episodes here. Maybe not all of them, but I've watched a lot of them just because of that. But just, I haven't watched them for like 20 years, it feels like. And so when I started watching them, like the opening scene just brought me back. I'm just like, oh my yeah. goodness, like the opening like sequence. I'm just like, yeah, it yeah. just, it just, it just yeah. reminded me of uh, just, just all this, these memories of growing up and stuff. Love the premise of R.L. Stein finding a small, quiet hamlet and letting his briefcase fly open with the evilest G in history to curse them with. I remember as a kid when I watched Goosebumps, like the intro, for some reason, something about like the intro, I maybe it was a combination of the music, but as well as the image of like the dog and its eyes glowing. And then when I watched it, I like laughed because it's just the worst looking special effects ever of the dog's eyes glowing. It's just like a layer of like just like yellow colored over it's funny going back and like looking at this thing and you're like think something that was like ooh, you're like this is so stupid looking now yeah it brought something back and i was like oh man i'm i got my chocolate milk and my celery sticks and i'm huddled <laughs> up to the tv whatever man <laughs> i got milk and celery sticks for me as well like when i was listening to the book I was imagining Spidey to look like the old man of Poltergeist 3. That's what I imagined. <laughs> uh, which, which in, in a way, was a lot scarier. But then when you actually see him, he looks like Alan Cummings, like a crappy version, like the poor man's Alan Cummings. Not only that, he has like the worst like silver wig on and like really crappy goggles. I'm just like, ugh. like, and then as well, too, I imagined it being the pure normal Polaroid camera. And then when you see the camera for the first time, it's like this. It look, it's, I guess it's supposed to be futuristic, but it literally looks like the prop department was like, I don't know. We got this on, uh, you know, uh, Babylon 5 set. It's an unused prop from it. It, 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 it the, the camera looks terrible. Yeah, the Spidey in the in the TV show, man, he also kind of looked like Doc Ock with the goggles and stuff. And the all black I was like, what the heck is going on? Why is this the choice that they went with? And yeah, they definitely make him seem like a much older person in the book. And then in this one, he's just like an eccentric looking dude. <laughs> So the uh, I just pulled a picture up of that guy from Poltergeist Three, Henry Kane, and I, I just, like I knew what you meant when you said that. And actually, that would have been the perfect casting if you really wanted to scare someone. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I kind of want to read part two and part three. There's a part really get, three. I don't know. I think I think there is. Say cheese and die, and then say cheese and die forever. Say cheese and die another day. <laughs> They're yeah. just James Bond. Yeah. Say cheese and die harder. <laughs> Say cheese and die finger. I don't know. <laughs> what the heck? No one does. It was like Goldfinger. I don't know. Oh, okay. I was, I was... okay. <laughs> Say cheese and die in Her Majesty's secret. I know. We're done with this. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
<laughs> let's let's stop being foolish and talk about our WWE casting here. So. Yeah, <laughs> let's get let's get back on our serious note. Um, so, how do we get around the fact that these are supposed to be children um, and cast grown adults to play them? Okay, so here's how we do it. I've given some thought into this. Uh, we just polar express it, except we put Batista's face over everybody, all the little kids. So, and then he just acts. You know, that's how you do it. I was thinking that you know maybe you could try and update it to like a more modern thing. Set it as close to their age as you can get. So I don't know, college or high school. Maybe you can convincingly push off some WWE superstars to play high schoolers. But no, let's just polar express them into us. <laughs> Or you could just get uh, Nicholas from WrestleMania 32 or whatever. That's true. The youngest WWE superstar. You, I, I'll say this 100%. I don't think there's anybody that would be better for Spidey than Bray Wyatt. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Bray Wyatt has to be Spidey. Like at this point. <laughs> I definitely see that. And they take a picture of Sherry. I was trying to like think, okay, maybe instead of the picture just shows like John Cena. Like, oh, she disappear i can't see her. you know what i mean but it just didn't work out so john cena is sherry you can easily cast like all of the parental you could cast the cops as wwe superstars you can cast the uh sherry's mom as like ivory or something i don't know yeah, uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the the dad who's super psyched about his floor tourists that could be uh vince uh, just <laughs> vince, vince super old vince he's like Hey, son, look at my... 98-year-old uh, Vince. Somehow has, like, a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> you can cast all the adults easy. They don't even need a really strong acting ability, too. You just throw them out there, and they'll read lines and stuff. It's just the kids who you can't really cast, unless you do get Nicholas and, um, you know, uh, Hornswoggle or whatever. Like, uh, yeah, Hornswoggle. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> uh, is that offensive? Break. I don't know. <laughs> if it is, then... Um, it's Jesse's fault. So <laughs> then again, if WWE was ninety percent of WWE's choices are offensive too. So it's I true. Mean, so it's not I something mean... that I would put past them. <laughs> I think you hit it. Uh, Dave Batista as all the kids. Uh, <laughs> that makes the that makes it. But you know what? Here's the thing. In the Polar Express, Tom Hanks didn't play all the children though. Okay. He played one of the kids, and they had other actors, because that would have been too fucking weird. Okay. Uh, Jim Carrey does play some of the kids in um, in The Christmas, Christmas Carol? Carol. Yeah. You just get uh, Batista to do that or whatever. Or like The Great Khali or something. Oh, I'll get boy. David Arquette to be Spidey. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, David Arquette would be a pretty good, uh, pretty good Spidey as far as I'm concerned. David Arquette would be a good bird, you know, because he's just so funny. He was just like the laugh riot of the 90s, as far as I remember. Um, Jim Carrey, hey. who? Like, <laughs> uh, Eight uh, Legged Freaks is pretty good, though. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So It's been ages since I tried watching Eight Legged Freaks. I wonder if it aged well. The thing about Eight Legged Freaks is it was the Dark Horse surprise summer hit where no one thought it would make any money. And it ended up being like the biggest movie of that summer, basically. I, I'm I'm tempted to go back and look at its release window and just question what else came out that summer? Because it was probably pretty bad. 
like and it's pretty good like it's one of those films where you start watching it and about 15 minutes in you're like yeah okay this is the movie i want to check out so it's just like dumb fun actually i kind of want to watch it and if you are listening to this podcast please take a couple minutes and uh watch eight-legged freaks also okay hang on let me just back this up here eight-legged freaks didn't do that great in the box office <laughs> okay we're pumping this up but i'm looking at the july box office window there are some hard hitters that did considerably better than eight-legged freaks including men in black 2 austin powers and gold member mr deeds um made more money than it's Stuart little too uh reign of fire reign of fire's badass yeah i love that exactly movie. Wait, that sounds like a baller July, by the way. Yeah, no, it, it is a pretty <laughs> solid July. So Eight-Legged Freaks came out in the same weekend as Reign of Fire. That's one hell of a party. And The Born Identity and, yeah, Road to Perdition <laughs> and Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. I remember watching Halloween Resurrection in theaters. And uh, and you had a long debate over whether to see Eight-Legged Freaks or Halloween Resurrection. Or you double-featured them. <laughs> So I don't know if I actually watched Eight-Legged Freaks in theaters, but I definitely like watched it numerous times, probably over. But I do remember watching um, Halloween Resurrection because at the end of that movie, Mike Myers, if I can use that name, he gets his head cut off, right? And at the end of that movie in theaters, some teenage kid yelled out of the top of his lungs, he gets his head cut off like a minute before he ends up doing it. And so when it actually happens, the entire audience groaned in anger that some kid ruined it for everybody. That was a pretty memorable. <laughs> uh, that's pretty great. <laughs> that's my uh, Halloween. Also, too, spoiler alert. I'm fairly certain I saw it like it freaks in the theater. And you didn't want to watch Stuart Little 2, which also came out that weekend. <laughs> I think it was at the point where I probably thought Stuart Little 2 lame. I was probably in that age where I'm like, I want to watch oh, like, Reign of Fire. You chose Eight Legged Freaks over Reign I of I do Fire. not even remember Reign of Fire hitting theaters, to be fully honest with you. I remember watching it on VHS when it came out later that year or whatever, but I don't remember it ever hitting theaters. But then obviously it must have because it had big names in it, it had Christian Bale and. Mm, is Matthew McConaughey in it? Matthew yeah. McConaughey, Christian Bell, yeah. Sean yeah. Bean. Right. It had big names in it, but I don't remember that hitting theaters. I mean, it made more money than Eight Legged Freaks did. So, look, just take eight. What I'm trying to say is, Eight Legged Freaks is a movie that should have made, that should have lost money. Like by every metric, every metric possible, that movie was made for probably 20 million. It should have made 8 million in the box office. And that should have been the end of it. But it ended up making a lot of money. The uh, Is there anything else you guys want to add to the WWE casting? Yeah, and this makes me think, like, you know, WWE should get into TV more. I mean, I guess they, they tried that big show sitcom, and that didn't go too well. But And then they have their own, like, WWE Network cartoons and stuff that are, like, kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. But it's like, maybe they should just um, go all in on a franchise, you know? Like... WWE should just buy the Goosebumps franchise. Done. That would be so great. And then just like launch their own TV show with Goosebumps. Yeah. Or just start using Goosebumps scenarios in ring. Randy Orton finds a camera um, and he's like, (laughs) weird. This camera predicts how the matches will end. (laughs) I'd be down with that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Night of the Living Dummy. Mr. Sock. Yeah, Mr. Sacco somehow yeah. becomes a murderer. 
All right. So let's wrap this up. If we were to pick between the TV show and the book, which one did you guys prefer? Ashton, go. Probably the book. I'd say the book. Doug? I'd say the book as well. Jesse? Yeah, book. It's just, it had way more content in it. So, yeah. As much as I love Ryan Gosling, I'm going to have to go to the book. Although, who knows? If they do a full-length adaptation of this, Ryan Gosling should come back to play Greg. Just current-day Ryan Gosling playing a 12-year-old. That'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and uh, what is our next pick Doug is picking? So, I've had a hankering lately to watch The Shawshank Redemption. So, I made my next pick, Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption and its adaption, The Shawshank Redemption. Excellent. All right. So, yeah, our first Stephen King. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And I feel like I haven't watched The Shawshank Redemption in forever. It might be like 10 years since I've seen that movie. So, oh, it's fantastic. It's one of the best. Uh, That's it for this episode of Page and Screen. Folks, as usual, I'm going to give a special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on this show. If you would like to hear more of their music, Check them out by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you like this show, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave us a review and a rating? You can also connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen One on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. Uh, We post regular updates of all the books we watch, of all the books we read. We don't watch the books. That would be hilarious. But no, we post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch. And we would love to hear your thoughts on all of them. So go ahead and join the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about this show. Um, We are trying to get the word out about the podcast. So if you know a book nerd or a film geek in your life, please pass this on. We'd love to reach new people. And until the next page and screen, thank you for listening.